All right, well, welcome this morning. Welcome to New Life Church. So glad you guys are with us today. Let me invite you to open up your Bibles to the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then we'll also be in Matthew chapter 24, 2 Timothy 3, and then Matthew 24. We'll have a few other places we'll go in between as well. As we are continuing with a series that we've started a few weeks ago on eschatology, the end times, we've titled this series, Remain Faithful. Talked about remaining faithful to the truth, to God's word. Today we're starting to talk about remaining faithful to Jesus. Remain faithful to Jesus because he will return. He is returning. He is coming back. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, before we get into our text today, I just again remind you, uh, you'll hear more about it as well in our announcement segment at the end, but... We are partnering with another church in town at Poplar Heights Baptist uh, doing a marriage conference. It's called XO Marriage Conference. We're not putting it on. It's already put on, and we're going to be able to go and watch. It's a Friday night, May 19th, Saturday, May 20th. There's a dinner on Friday, lunch on Saturday. Uh, It's $85 for that, and I want to just encourage you to sign up if you have not already. You can go to our website, nlcj.org. On our homepage, there's a link. It'll take you through it, walk you through it. Listen to this. It says, at a couple's counseling meeting, the speaker mentioned that the couples are so disconnected that 85% of husbands don't even know their wife's favorite flower. Mick turned to his wife and he whispered, it's self-rising, isn't it? (laughs) Thought I was going to get serious on you for a moment, right? (laughs) Hey, let's not be like Mick, right? Let's not be like. All right, well, listen, again, let's, uh, let's get into today's text. It's, this is kind of our foundational point, uh, part of, our, of this particular series. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul's written this to his um, young protege, Pastor Timothy, and he writes this. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. We've, we've gone through this, this whole chapter once already, but we're going to skip over to chapter 4. And I want you to look at verse 6 through 8. As Paul is writing some of his final things, he says, As for me, Timothy, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. In other words, I'm in my last days, he says. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but it's for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing or to his return. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this day we have. Thank you for this opportunity that we can come together as a church to worship you, to pray, to encourage one another, to be edified and taught and built up by your word. And today we pray that, Lord, you would speak to us, guide us, pour into our hearts, direct our steps, and help us to become more like you, to live at a place of readiness for your return. I ask you to fill my heart and my mouth. Let the meditations of that, of my heart and the words of my mouth, O Lord, be well-pleasing to you and be a help to your people. In Jesus' name, everyone can say amen. 
Amen. So Paul says, last days. They're going to be difficult. Other translations give some description to that as well, saying these, the, in the last days they will be perilous. They will be extremely fierce. There will be terrible times. There will be great stress and trouble, hard to deal with, hard to bear in the last days. You ever had a week where it all started good and then it all got bad? You might have started out celebrating uh, a birthday and ended with a funeral. That's been this week for a few of our members. Uh, Celebrating birthdays, celebrating graduation, celebrating anniversaries, honoring the life of someone who's lived and who has passed. All in one week. All in one week. Difficult. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, listen, son, I wish I had, could tell you that life will get easier all the way through, but it doesn't always happen that way. He said there will be some difficult, it will be difficult times in the end times. And he writes to him there at the end in chapter 4, and he said, listen, I have lived my life. My last days are here and now, but here's what you need to remember. Do what I do. Fight the good fight. Finish your race. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. I think there's a lot to be said about remaining faithful has a lot to do with the return of Jesus. Because He is going to return. In fact, He is in the process of returning. You ever been somewhere or had an experience, maybe like a vacation, uh, an attraction a restaurant, somewhere that just, man, you loved it so much, you were planning your return at the moment you were experiencing. You're like, this, this trip is so amazing. This place is, is so phenomenal. I, I'm already planning when I'm going to come back. Jesus has been planning his return ever since he left. He's not been sitting on the throne just kind of, you know, twiddling his thumbs and, and wasting time for time to go by. He's been thinking about... You and I has been thinking about humanity ever since he left. Says he's at the right hand of the throne of God forever making intercession for us. But this time when he comes back, though, he's not going to come as a baby. He's not going to live 33 and a half years. He's not going to die on a cross. He's not going to be buried in a borrowed tomb. And he's not going to be raised from the dead because he's already done that. This time when he comes back, everything is different. Everything will be changed. This time when he returns, he will make all things perfect again. All right? And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is asked a question in some of his final days on earth, and he's with his disciples. Look at verse 3. They ask him, tell us, hey, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And then he goes through and he starts to talk to them about some signs of the time. Earthquakes and famines and false prophets, people rising up saying the Messiah has come. And he's like, don't believe any of that because it's not true. And he said, there will be wars and rumors of wars and conflicts of nations within the nations. All these different things are going to happen. He said, these are the birth pains that are leading to something else that's on the way. 
said, pay attention to these sorts of things. He said, the love of many will grow cold. Many will stop following me. People will start to hate each other in a, uh, in a terrible way. He said, lots of bad things are going to take place. Persecution will increase. All of this type's martyrdom will happen. All of these things will happen, he says. But he said, there's something that's in the midst of all that. And that's verse 21 where he says, For there will be greater anguish, some translations say great tribulation, that it will be greater than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Verse 29. It says, immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then at last, the, su- the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Verse 31 says, and he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Jesus gives these description of signs of the last days. Paul tells us later when he writes it to Timothy, the last days will be difficult. Jesus saying the last days will have great pressure. Tribulation there, the Greek meaning in that is our English word pressure. There will be great pressure. Pressure, great affliction, great distress, great anguish, great misery on the earth. But those days, this time, he said, will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen one. So we can look at it and say that before Christ's return, life will get harder with more intensity of what he was talking about. Now remember, the last days started on the day of Pentecost when God poured out his spirit People thought people were crazy drunk. Peter got up and was like, this is not what you think, all right? It's not what you think. Actually, he begins to quote from the prophet Joel about 800 years earlier who prophesied that in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. You will prophesy, you will dream dreams, you will have visions, and all these things will take place. And then things will kind of get a little weird at times with the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth. And all of these things will will begin to happen. He said, but the last days started there. And Paul, around A.D. 65, 66, 67, writes to Timothy and he tells him, Hey, you need to know this, Timothy. There's great pressure. Great pressure will increase. Great pressure will continue to happen. And so, what is our position in our last days? We talked about one last, over the last two weeks, one thing that you and I can do as believers is to remain faithful to God's truth, to His Word. It will never pass away, it tells us. Here's another thing that we're talking about today. Remain faithful to Jesus. He's not just some prophet. He wasn't just some good man. All right? He he is the Son of God of the living God. He was the Messiah who came to this earth, who died, who was buried, who was resurrected, and who ascended on into heaven and sits at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. And at any moment, at any time, He will be released to come back and claim His people. 
All right? And so he is returning. He is returning. So if he's returning, he's our Savior. He died for us, gave his life for us. He's the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in him will not die. Even though he may die, he will still live forever. God so loved the world that whoever believes in his son, Jesus, would have eternal life and not perish. Believe, follow, trust, adhere to, rely upon him. Surrender your life to him. Would experience eternal life. Jesus is coming back. But how? the great question is how and when does it all end? And they were asked, his disciples were asking him that in, in chapter 24. I think the safest answer is the, is the answer that Jesus gives. Look at it in verse 36. He says, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Only the Father knows. Will Jesus come back before this pressure gets greater? Will Jesus come back in the middle of all this pressure? Or will Jesus have to wait until after all this pressure is said and done? I think a a great, healthy view is instead of trying to pinpoint a timeline, we have signs, we pay attention, we look at them, these things have happened, these things are happening that Jesus talks about. Because you and I can never know when exactly it's going to happen. But what we can do is Jesus gives us warning is to be prepared. Is to be prepared. Be prepared in our heart. Be prepared in our soul. Be prepared. The thing about the pressure is the pressure gets greater because you have the kingdom of God and you have this kingdom of this world. You have the God of all and you have the God of this age. And there's, they're budding each other. And one will ultimately override the other. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, absolutely. In the book of Revelation, there's, that John has 22 chapters that John writes about are based on a series of images that he has, sequences of time, different places of time that he has of the end times that the Lord shows him. And he gives him these, all these images, and a lot of them, can be kind of confusing. A lot of it can be kind of weird. You know, you got seals and you got trumpets and you got 144,000 here and you, you got all of these, you got a beast, you got two beasts, you got a dragon, and you got, you got all these things kind of going on in different places of time, different scenes, if you will. And, and they're not all in this exact time sequence of, of one after the other. But in Revelation 12 and 13, John has, he says, I see. He sees this image of a dragon. And he identifies it as this dragon is Satan, the old serpent, the serpent of old that you can identify all the way back to Genesis 3 when he's in the garden with Adam and Eve who deceived them. And you got... In chapter 13, he says, There's, I see these two beasts, one of this coming out of the sea, one coming off the earth. And so this pressure that I believe Paul talks about, that Jesus alludes to, is this pressure that the devil and his beast are wreaking havoc on God's people. 
Because in, in Revelation 12, 12, it tells us that the devil is angry that he's here. And, he said, and it says that he knows his time is short. Knows his time is short. My youth pastor used to t- tell a story kind of like, like this about this sort of thing. Is you ever been, and you don't have to show your hands because it could have happened this morning before you came to church. I don't know. But you ever been in a uh, heated argument with maybe someone in your home? And, and it didn't, wasn't going well. And so one person decides to walk out and slam the door as they walk out. Don't raise your hands. Don't you do it. Don't do it. Anybody ever been there? Don't raise those hands. Or you, or, or you slam your fist down or you throw something in anger and you're like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to slam this door. I'll get the last word. And that's what my, my, my youth pastor used to say. The devil knows his time is so short, he is constantly slamming things, slamming the door because he's so angry. He knew he could not conquer Jesus. Revelation 12 talks about he could not conquer Jesus. But what he does try to do is conquer his people, to wreak havoc on his people. The devil will do anything he can to wreak havoc on God's people to keep them from experiencing the plan and purpose that Jesus has for their life. Bottom line, bottom line, he will do anything he can. He will use temptation. He will use addiction. He will use sickness. He will use religion. He will use politics. He will use our past. He will use money. He will use people. He will use and do anything he can to try to prevent the plan and purpose of Jesus happening in the life of a person. Think about that. All those things I've listed and then countless other things that I did not say get used all the time in bad ways. He will try to use anything he can to get the plan of God and the purpose of God from being fulfilled in the life of a person. For his glory. So what do we do? What's our role? What's one role? What's what's one stance? One position you and I can take? These last few minutes I have, I just want to zero in on three thoughts about the return of Jesus. Then Lord willing, next week we'll expound from there. About his return. His return is guaranteed. His return is sudden. And his return is awesome. Let's look at that. Let's look at his return. To remain faithful to Jesus because he is returning. He is returning. Let's look at it. His return is guaranteed. Matthew 24, verse 37. We're going to go through a few scriptures here. Matthew uh, 24, verse 37. Jesus continuing his dialogue and his discourse on the last days and the return of him. Though he doesn't quite, he doesn't know yet when it will be. And he says this, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. We're going to come back there in just a second. Look with me. If you're writing notes, you can write these down. These are also on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15. We looked at a lot of this last week as well. Paul writes, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns, notice the wording, we who are still living when 
the Lord returns. We'll not meet him ahead of those who have died. And I so want to keep reading the rest of that because that's a fun thing to preach right there. But I'm going to look at another text. Revelation 22. Notice Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns. Paul says, when the Lord returns. Not if, not maybe, but when. And then here in Revelation 22... The last book, the last chapter, verse 7, Jesus says to John, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Verse 12, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Verse 20, He says, yes, I am coming soon. Three times in that one chapter, Jesus reiterates that he is coming soon. There is absolutely no doubt. People may have doubt. People may have doubt about this. But the reality is, if we go back to last week as Christians, if we subscribe to the Word of God as our standard, then we adhere to God's Word as truth then we can bank on what Jesus says, I am coming soon. Now, he wrote this around 90 A.D., 95, somewhere in there, quite a long time ago. And he used the words, I am coming soon. No doubt about it, his return is guaranteed. But here's another thing, his return is sudden. Look back in Matthew 24. Verse 38, he, he, he expounds, he says, In those days before the flood, speaking of Noah's time, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all the way. And that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. <clears throat> One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Sudden, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 1 and 2. Paul, continuing on in in the discourse of the last days and the hope of the resurrection, he says, Now concerning how and when all this will happen... Dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. And then look at 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, verse 8. Peter writes, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand Years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements 
themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. The return of Christ is not only guaranteed, but his return is also sudden and it's unexpected, as it says. No one knows when. Go back to, uh, let me actually, let me stay there in First Peter for a second. Thirdly, his return is awesome. His return is awesome. Second Peter 3, verse 12. Peter writing, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And then look over in Revelation 21. Verse 1, John writes, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. And then verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death. No more sorrow. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning. And the end. Remember one of his last dying words on the cross? Jesus said, It is finished. And here John sees this image of a new heaven, a new earth coming down out of God. All this is out of God. God contains all of this. In him, Acts tells us that we live and move and we have our being in God. And he said, I see him. He's wiping away every tear. He's causing all sorrow and all pain and all grief and all misery, all pressure to no longer exist. God himself lives among his people. His people live with him. And the one on the throne says, hey, write this down. Listen, I am making all things new. And he said, it is finished. The pressure may get greater. 
If I don't tell you these sorts of things, I would be lying to you. (laughs) I used to not like it when Pastor Prentice would tell me, son, or he probably wouldn't say, son, he he said, let me tell you something, Pastor Jeremy. He said, it's not always going to, it's not going to get easier. I was like, I know that, but I don't like hearing that. We don't like hearing. I'm sure Timothy did not like to hear those words. I don't like to hear those words. That life can, the pressure can become greater. So what do we do? Do we go hide in the hills? We go build a concrete wall and hide behind it? What do we do? It looks like, according to the New Testament, we don't go and freak out and run away. We stay true to the one who stays true to us. We stay faithful to the one who has remained faithful to us. We continue to put our hope, trust, and faith in the only one who can save our souls, who the only one who can give us eternal life, and that's Jesus. That is Jesus. Because in the discourse of Matthew 24, Jesus tells his disciples, those who endure to the end will be saved. That make it doesn't make it easier. But what it does do is give greater hope. It does put within us a greater awareness of how we are to conduct and live our lives, this one life you and I have. None of us may be here when Jesus comes. None of us may be alive when Jesus comes. Paul wrote these things from the pinpoint, from the perspective of he could come right now to next week, tomorrow. Those of us who are alive when the Lord returns will be caught caught up with him, it says. So whether we live or whether we die, we will be with the Lord, those who believe in Him. But the pressure doesn't stop, does it? We still have life to live. And so the enemy's at work. He knows his time is short. And one of the great things you and I can do is to encourage one another in these matters. One of the greatest things you and I can do for each other is to pray for one another. Pray for one another. When we pray for one another, it not only has the power to change in a other person's life, but it also changes the one who's doing the praying. You ever been in a position where you know you, you had a great need You had a great request. You had a great supplication before God. But you found yourself in a position to pray for someone else who was also in a great need, who had a great problem, who needed a great answer, who needed God to turn some things around for them. And you prayed for them, and then suddenly you realize, wow, I I still have my thing going, I still have my issue, but I'm not as bummed out about it now. That's what prayer does. When people say prayer changes things, it changes things, but it changes people. 
I don't think the saints of God can ever pray enough for one another. Amen, Pastor Prentice? I don't think we can pray enough for one another. Sometimes I'm so doggone tired from praying, all I want to do is watch TV and fall asleep. I know that's none of you guys. Like, TV? You own a TV? I'm not UPC or any of that, okay? If you are, go with God. But I like some TV. I like to watch the NBA Finals. Watching that right now, in between things. Back to what I need to talk about. His return is guaranteed, friends. His return is sudden. None of us know when. This world doesn't know when. People like to predict it. People make millions of dollars off of books and TV shows and movies about it, but nobody knows. His return is awesome because when he returns this time, he returns to put an end to all things as we currently know it. And everything becomes brand new. Everything becomes perfect. The earth, the new earth, the new heaven is filled with God's righteousness. Perfection. Think about that. No sorrow, no tear, no pain, no grief, no misery, nothing. No more slamming doors. And I think in the last days, there's quite a few scriptures that, hit, that point us in that direction. That is to keep looking to Christ. Corey Ten Boom, the writer, the author of The Hiding Place, said, If you look at the world, you'll be depressed. If you look inside, you'll be distressed. If you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. It's about view, about perspective. It's about who we're looking to. Come on, if man could save man, we wouldn't have any problem. No, wouldn't be nobody homeless. Wouldn't nobody be hungry. Wouldn't nobody be killing anybody. Wouldn't nobody be stealing from people. Wouldn't nobody be doing any crazy things like that in this world. There would not be any of that going on. If man could save man, we'd have done solve man's problems, right? Jesus is the only one who can save man. But he tells us there will be great pressure as we go on with life. But there will be a day that's marked. God the Father knows. Jesus' return is guaranteed. His return is sudden, but His return is awesome. So what can the church do? I think one of the greatest things we can do is to pray for.